Please, can somebody close the door for me? Namo tasa bhagavato arahato sama sambutasa. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato sama sambutasa. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato sama sambutasa. So tonight I'd like to try to give a little summary of what we have been sharing you know, up to now and hoping you know, that it will help you to get a bit more uh, clarity. And if it's confusing, then uh, just uh, leave it behind. And I want to start with a, a quote from the scriptures from the Anguttara Nikaya. And then I'm going to read a, contem- a rather contemporary quote which says the same thing in a very different language. And that might give you an idea you know, about the breadth of how we can approach the teaching. There's so many different ways you know, from, from where we can come to the, to the teaching and the essence is always the same. And this uh, quote from the Buddha very well expresses that essence. Whosoever is emancipated from the world does so by removing the five hindrances, firmly establishing the mind in the four foundations of mindfulness and cultivating the seven factors of awakening. So I'll say it again. Whosoever is emancipated from the world does so by removing the five hindrances firmly establishing the mind in the four foundations of mindfulness and cultivating the seven factors of awakening or seven factors of enlightenment. So we have been speaking about the five hindrances and also the seven factors of awakening. And also a little bit we have touched on the four foundations of mindfulness, which are, you know, a template for meditation which is, you know, the main template the Buddha has given us. The foundation of, first foundation of mindfulness is body. Second foundation of mindfulness is feeling tone. Third foundation of mindfulness is mindfulness of the mood of the mind or the flavor of the mind. And the fourth foundation of mindfulness is mindfulness of uh, phenomena or mindfulness of tamas with a, lowercase d. And then here I have a, a quote by, by Trungpa Rinpoche. And he is very well known for having been very, very able, you know, to take very complex um, 
concepts and translate them in, in daily language. We work on the projector rather than on the projection. We turn inward instead of trying to sort out external problems of A, B and C. We work on the creator of duality rather than the creation. That is beginning at the beginning. Constantly coming back to square one. A process of acceptance rather than manipulation. So we are working on the projector rather than on the projection, which means, you know, removing the five hindrances, which means, you know, there are different lenses which are uh, in front of the projector and through the, because of those different lenses, what is projected, you know, is not in accordance with reality, but it's, it's very much colored and influenced by the quality of our mind in the in the moment. If there is greed in the mind, then you know what we're experiencing, we're experiencing through the lens of greed. Or if there is ill will in the mind, what we're experiencing, if we are not conscious, we experience it through the lens of the ill will, for example. And uh, if we are turning towards the projector and we at least we are aware of it, even we might not be able to remove it in the moment. But, you know, if we are mindful of what is happening in our mind, we are not fooled by it. And that is beginning at the beginning. And the four foundations of mindfulness, they are a template, you know, which support us that we can begin at the beginning. You know, when we are spinning off in a story about, you know, because we ha there's unpleasant or pleasant feeling, very strong present, we tend to spin off in a story of not wanting it or wanting more of it, for example. And the four foundations of mindfulness, they are like a, um, you know, a support system where we can we can hold on to that, and then we don't get carried away, you know, in the powerful um, current of the story. And we're coming back to square one, which is just being with the experience as it is. And then, you know, the mind comes up with habitual ways of relating to it, putting something on top of the bare experience, because that's how we have been conditioned. And, and then through mindfulness, you know, we remember, oh. And then there's an interest to understand what's happening. That's Dhamma Vichaya, that's investigation of Dhammas. And then, you know, if we put in the necessary energy, then, you know, the process takes on some kind of smoothness. And that is a, a certain amount of joy or a feeling of you know being in the flow arises and then the whole thing starts to calm down a little bit and then if there's a certain amount of calmness the mind is able to focus and then being able to focus we see more clearly and you know upeka or equipoise or having a perspective is the result of seeing clearly
and then you know we have more capacity to even you know be have a stronger mindfulness and that if mindfulness is stronger that allows us to go deeper into our experience and seeing on a, on a ever deepening level what's really going on here and that you know is and what we are really seeing is what is really freeing is seeing impermanence how it operates and then you know if we can manage you know to put the causes and conditions in place so that the mind can really see impermanence for what it is that itself is transforming the mind because you know the mind sees very clearly it's futile to try to hold on or to fixate on that which is impermanent and you know we start with an intellectual understanding but then you know it has to really be experienced individually by the wise like it said in the scriptures it has to be really seen and you know on full enlightenment is the result of having seen that on a very very deep level and the, and the practice is basically preparing the system of body and mind to have those moments occur you know where that is really seen very very deeply and then the transformation is the fruit that's not something we have to do but that's the result of it and uh, in the scriptures is also spoken about path and fruit the path you know is the path of purification we can say you know where we kind of have all kinds of different tools and the precepts and uh, schedules and different practices and uh, instructions and which help us to encourage the mind to see this impermanence really so deeply that it that a letting go is 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 the result of that and uh another body and when of damadipa both have been you know speaking on on what supports those seven factors of enlightenment to become perfected and i have brought here like another little list because the suttas are full of lists because they are you know oral teachings which have been passed on for about 500 years before they have been uh, written down and and you know and because of that there's lots of lists so that the the memorizers you know had some aids to memorize the the teachings through different lists and that's a list for the basis for developing the factors of enlightenment and there is five different bases or vital conditions or approximate causes which the buddha is speaking about and and they are also they are the same you know for any type of knowledge mundane knowledge like you know learning how to fix uh, the plumbing or learning how to drive a car or play an instrument you know it's the same kind of qualities which we need to um cultivate in order to 
to learn anything, you know, the factors of enlightenment, to learn about impermanence or to learn about plumbing. It's in kind of the same basic factors we need to cultivate here. And the first one, which, happen, which happens to be mentioned here, you know, many times is, is good friends. And uh, so here, friends, uh, and here, because it's about, it's the scriptures and they're like 2,560 and something years old, so it's spoken about the bhikkhus, about monks only, and we just uh, say practitioner here. Here, friends, a practitioner has good friends, good companions, good comrades. This is the first proximate cause and vital condition for the development of the factors of enlightenment. So, you know, in terms of the spiritual life, it's spiritual friends or karyanamitas or, you know, or teachers who may be a little bit, you know, further along the path than we are, and then they can help us. And in terms of, you know, learning the plumbing, you just go to a master who knows about plumbing and you have a good enough relationship that that person wants to teach you about plumbing. And then the second one is, again, friends, a practitioner is virtuous. She dwells restrained by the code of conduct possesses good conduct and resort, seeing danger in minute thoughts, having undertaken the training. This is the second proximate cause, vital condition. So you know, in our case, it's, the, it's a different levels of precepts for you at the moment, the eight precepts. And for us, it's kind of a huge amount of precepts. We, I won't say how many, because then you will be maybe shocked, is we, we are keeping over 300 precepts. And, uh, you know, in terms of learning the plumbing, it's just, you know, if you are working somewhere, you know, if you don't show up on time for a few times, uh, you know, you might lose your job. So it's, it's, you have to bring discipline in order to, to learn something. And the second one, again, friends, a practitioner gets to hear at will without trouble or difficulty about the Dhamma that is conducive to opening up the heart, that is talk on fewness of desires and contentment and not getting bound up with others on arousing energy and virtuous behavior. This is, the this is the third proximate cause, vital condition for cultivating the seven factors of awakening. And, you know, in the case of a Dhamma practitioner, it's about having access, you know, to hearing about the teaching, which is very easy nowadays because it's all on the internet. And in terms of, you know, learning any kind of a profession or any other skill is, you know, to to have, have the good fortune that we can go to school or that we can go anywhere, you know, to learn a skill and that we can read and write and that, you know, our mind is strong enough that it can learn something.
And then the fourth one is, again, friends, a practitioner has aroused energy for abandoning unwholesome qualities and acquiring wholesome qualities. She is strong, firm in exertion, not casting off the duty of cultivating wholesome qualities. This is the fourth proximate cause vital condition for developing the seven factors of enlightenment. And energy, you know, is one of the seven factors of enlightenment anyway. Because without energy, you know, in many, many of the lists in the, in the scriptures, energy is one of the words which happens, you know, to be quoted most often. Because without putting in energy, without giving, you know, really of yourself, there's no way to, you can learn anything. And the same, you know, if you're learning a profession or uh, a musical instrument, if you don't put in energy, if you don't apply yourself, if you don't give off your time, there's no way that you're going to learn anything. And then the fifth one is, again, friends, a practitioner is wise. She possesses the wisdom that discerns arising and passing away which is noble and penetrative and leads to the complete destruction of suffering. This is the fifth proximate cause vital condition for the development of the seven factors of enlightenment. And in terms you know, of the Dhamma practice, wisdom or Panya is, you know, seeing, arising and ceasing. That's, that's the essence you know, of what wisdom is all about. It's very, very simple. But in order, you know, for the mind to really make that one's own, we have to have, you know, the capacity to stay really attentive enough that we can really discern this arising and ceasing in our own experience because reading about it is really not doing the job. It's not transformative, it's just like a beginning. And uh, you know what you are doing here, and what also we are doing here together, you know, the, the meditation practice is all about enabling the mind to see the arising and ceasing. And that, you know, is what originally set the Buddha on the path. And, you know, if we are learning any skill, we also, you know, have to you know, prepare the mind so that it can contain knowledge. And the same about the, with the Dhamma. It, it's just, in many ways, you know, just making space for that which really matters and uh, letting go of that which is in the way. And I think when Abdamatipa said that today, you know, it's it's very much about it's not about gaining anything, it's not about acquiring anything, but it's more like letting go of all of the extra luggage which we have been accumulating over lifetimes. So it's it's really a process of 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 shedding stuff, not of of you know, accumulating more. So it's not like wisdom is not a body of knowledge, but wisdom is the capacity to, to see clearly what what is really happening. And for that, you know, and that's why it's also called a, a pur purification process. 
which means you know taking off one lens after the other, which is uh, you know distorting our our view and uh, you know speaking about the seven factors of enlightenment, what really kind of activates their awakening potential is is to to kind of relate it to four different themes and the first first you know the mind has to be uh, free of the hindrances and then the mind which is free of the hindrances maybe it's even for only for a very short while but then the mind free of hindrances you know sees the arising and ceasing very clearly and that clear seeing leads to dispassion and the, the word dispassion in uh, in a pali language it's called viraga and raga the word raga means uh, comes from the word rang which means to color so dispassion means you know that letting go of the coloring which is an overlay you know on top of experience and then washing that out you know like if you have a a cloth with a very strong stain if you're washing it for one time it might not you know lose the the stain but if you're washing it for many many times it slowly and but surely you know gets more and more washed out and that's exactly you know what we are doing with the practice to you know prepare the mind so it's it's temporarily free from the hindrances and then turning it towards seeing the arising and ceasing and that is doing the uh, washing out you know of the passion because it, if it's seen very very clearly arising and ceasing we understand the futility of holding on and then the, the result of, of seeing that really clearly is is the letting go and you know and, and the full realization of enlightenment or nibbana is nothing else but a complete letting go and we are all you know on the path towards that complete letting go and there's lots of little letting goes lots of moments of uh, little moments of clear seeing and that's, accumul- that's accumulating a certain you know power and then at one point when that is strong enough then there is a a breakthrough you know which is a permanent change of the mind because as you have seen you know the mind is can be so different at different times sometimes you know it's really clear and hindrances are in abeyance and then you know something happens and they flare up again and there's like there's a constant change happening and then you know with this complete letting go and cutting through what's called the ten fetters then you know the hindrances will not come back and in a small way you know we can probably you know if we look back over our practice life of practice over the last five years or ten years 
you know, we can discern a change, you know, in our, how we are living our lives. And then, you know, that accumulates and if there, if there is no change in our daily life, then there's something not quite working in our practice. And, uh, you know, those five aids for cultivating the seven factors of enlightenment, they are basically the foundation on which we are standing in order to put the causes and conditions in place so that the mind can open up to the extent that it can see this arising and ceasing, you know, which is so liberating if it is fully seen. Because you know that which is impermanent is unsatisfactory, and this unsatisfactoriness is not innate, you know, in 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 the world, but it's it is comes from the unawakened mind. It comes, you know, from living in a way which is. Uh, which is not in tune, you know, with the way things really are. And uh, the practice is, is helping us to basically deconstruct those old patterns of relating and uh, putting in place what is much more in sync with reality. And then suffering is decreasing because of that. And that's, I think, where we are all here, you know, because we would like to have less friction in our lives, like to have more wisdom in our lives. And for that, you know, we have to be willing to go through the motion of... uh, Re, uh, of investigating everything, how we how we are relating, and then you know seeing for ourselves, you know what is in the way, and then <coughs> allowing that process of uh, seeing clearly remove that which is in the way, and uh, let, letting it go, and you know leaving it behind, and then you know what has been maybe like 10 years ago, something we were really very interested in or very, you know, fascinated by, it, it <coughs> can completely lose its, its grip on us. Or certain people, you know, we like to spend a lot of time with, if we are practicing and they are not practicing, after a few years, it's suddenly, you know, we don't know anymore what to speak about with them. So it can be very, uh, can have very big uh, repercussions on our life, you know, if we really start to see the capacity and, and the potential of this practice. And, uh, you know, in the scriptures also, when there is spoken about the. Um, you know, what is uh, the 
awakening potential of those seven factors of enlightenment, they are, you know, really activated if the mind is secluded from the hindrances and, uh, and is seeing really clearly and when all of those lenses are, are removed from the projector for, for some time and then through this clear seeing, this passion sets in, you know, there's the washing out of the passion starts to happen and then suffering starts to lessen as well. Because if there's less grasping, there's less suffering. It's a very simple equation. Less grasping, less fixation, less you know, expectations translates into less suffering. And uh, this gradual decrease of, of suffering you know, leads to a, a life you know, which has more ease, and where there's like a, a feeling of of contentment and and a feeling of uh, joy even you know and tranquility and then the capacity to let go is even bigger you know because if we, if we feel enriched in our lives then there's no need to grasp onto anything and those seven factors of enlightenment you know they are actually our biggest uh, riches which we all have at least in seed form in our minds and it's up to us you know to make much of them rather than you know losing ourselves in chasing after all other kinds of things you know which are considered riches in this world but they are not the real thing because they are all impermanent they are all unsatisfactory and they're all empty, you know, of a permanent existence. So if we really want to make sure, you know, that we will have a good life, we need to focus on those seven factors of enlightenment. And, you know, in order to focus on them really fully and make much of them, we need to simplify our lives. Because otherwise, the complications, you know, of uh, fulfilling lots of, of material desires is, is very con time-consuming. And then leads to lots of entanglement. And, and that complicates practice. And those five bases, you know, so when a, when a practitioner has good friends, good companions, good comrades, it can be expected of her that she will be virtuous and that she will, you know, live according to the precepts. And when a practitioner has good friends, good companions, good comrades, it can be expected of him that he will get to hear about the Dhamma without trouble or difficulty. And when a practitioner has good friends, good companions, good comrades, it can be expected of her 
that she will arouse energy for abandoning unwholesome qualities and not casting off the duty of cultivating wholesome qualities. And when a practitioner has good friends, good companions, good comrades, it can be expected of her that she will be wise, possessing the wisdom that discerns arising and passing away, which is noble and penetrative and leads to the complete destruction of suffering. So you can see, you know, that the good friends seem to be very important. And discerning, arising and ceasing. So that those two, they are mentioned over and over again in this sutta. So basically, you know, it means trying to arrange our life in a way so that we have enough peace of mind so that we can discern the arising and ceasing of phenomena. And that takes care of the transformation of the mind. We don't have to, you know, do anything on top of that. We don't have to force ourselves to let go because that is not possible, actually. But we, we can put the causes and conditions in place and it seems to start you know, with having good friends because if we have good friends, that means that we are also relatively good people because otherwise we wouldn't have good friends. And that is the basis you know, for having enough peace of mind so that we can see clearly. And... Uh, You know, and being able to be with one's own mind and, you know, to begin at the beginning so that we can really see, you know, how the mind works. That's, you know, once we have started on that path, we feel motivated really, you know, to become good friends to others and good friends to ourselves because we... We just don't, it doesn't make us, you know, kind of happy to see if, if you know, we do something which brings up a lot of regret in the mind. And that, you know, motivates us to, for example, you know, be interested in keeping the precepts and, and seeing the connection between, you know, liberation of the mind is based on, on just some very, very simple, basic ingredients. And there is no way that we can make any headway in the practice if we don't respect that, those basic ingredients, which are so simple and, and can be compared to any other mundane skill which we would like to learn. So it's not rocket science, really, you know. But what is required is, you know, to have the resilience to to see that which is maybe unpleasant to see or difficult to see. And then allow that to kind of, you know, reverberate through us and change us.
So I think that's all I wanted to say. Tonight, thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.